Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. Our text this morning is going to come from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19. Now, the context of our passage is fascinating. We're on Resurrection Sunday. We are in the evening of, in which Mary Magdalene discovered an empty tomb, reported back to the disciples, who in every male fashion didn't believe her. <laughs> and some of them run to the tomb to see for themselves, and yet they find it empty. Could it be? Could it be that Jesus' promise had come true? Mary Magdalene sticks around the empty tomb only to encounter the risen Lord, calling her to go forth to tell the disciples which John reports in chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. John reports that the disciples are locked away in a house in fear. The doors are closed. They're trembling out of fear of the religious leaders. They are physically locked in, but they're also emotionally and spiritually locked in. They're locked into the disappointment that Jesus failed his promises. They're living in the regret of all this was for nothing. They're locked in fear for their lives. The disciples are also locked in bewilderment of these crazed reports from their female companions that Jesus had, in fact, had resurrected after being brutally executed. Could it be he's risen? Could he do to himself what he did to others? Could it be that his promises had come true? Could it be he's really the Son of God? There's this combination of emotions that are filling the disciples of fear and anxiety and turmoil and heartache and disappointment and frustration and resentment and anger and feelings of hope and elation and strength and fulfillment and victory. Could it be the disciples are caught between this threshold of anxiety and hope? Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt simultaneously anxious and elated, inept and creative, uncertain and yet hopeful? You might have felt it when you're trying to decide what college to go to or if the person you were dating was the person you want to spend the rest of your life with or if you're ready for children or that feeling of staring into your child's eyes for the first time or deciding what career move is right. You might be feeling that at some points in your spiritual journey in which You feel like you need to step out in faith into the way of Jesus, this ongoing process of giving over to Christ and becoming something new. Over periods of my life, I felt this way. A little over four years ago, I was sitting on a call Sunday in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, predictably maybe moving my family 951 and a half miles away from home in North Carolina to Louisiana. Those feelings of, will this work out? Is this the right move? Is this where God is calling us? Will we be able to do great ministry together? You see, life offers moments in our journey in which we sit at the threshold between anxiety and hope. The church is in one of these in-between spaces where we have been, where we are, and where we are going is this sense of in-betweenness. And there's one word to use to describe this. It's the word liminal. Liminal comes from the Latin word limen, meaning threshold or space between. It was originally associated with a stone placed at the threshold of a door crossing from one space into another. 
It's often described as this in-betweenness. Liminality is the space between where you are and where you're going, the present and the future, the old and the new, the familiar and the unknown. You see, we have been in one of those places before, haven't we? The church is in a liminal space right now. The pandemic ring of a bell? (laughs) A time in which we had so much uncertainty going on around us and yet we're trying to be faithful faithful to what we know and faithful to what is uncertain. We're in this liminal space of how rapidly our culture is changing around us and how we're trying to learn and grow and adapt in all of it. We're, we're in this liminal space of polarization when it comes to politics and society in which we are being pulled every which direction. It's this feeling of stepping out into something that's uncertain and unknown. In the prophetic words of Elsa of Arendelle, one of the more extraordinary Disney characters, she says, I've had my adventure. I don't need something new. I'm afraid of what I'm risking if I follow you into the unknown. What never ceases to amaze me about children's movies is just how much they can speak to you about things in life. Now, I was not willing to admit that upon the 1,000th time of hearing that song being played in my house over and over again by my two daughters. And yet, Elsa is not wrong. The unknown raises all these emotions of disappointment and frustration, of egotism and timidity, of grief and anxiety, of doubt and fear, of depression and paralysis. And what's fascinating is not only are we dealing with these emotions, but psychologically we have all these responses to the unknown also within our bodies. Our bodies respond to facing moments of unknown with things like increased heart rate and unregulated breathing and a surge of adrenaline resulting in that famous fight, flight, or freeze response. Oftentimes we avoid moments or avoid people associated with uncertainty and unknown. We lose sleep, we have intestinal discomfort, our uh, chest gets tight. And if this is the diversity of ways in which our bodies individually respond to the unknown, imagine what it's like for us as a church organization collectively responding to the unknown. As a church, we all bring all of that together into a relational organization in which our brains are trying to figure out what is going on, our hearts are trying to figure out what's going on, our souls are aching for something different. And so, yes, we can connect with the disciples. Of that moment of uncertainty, sitting in an upper room, locked away in fear. But it says this in the second part of verse 19. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He showed him his, them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw this. Again, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And, and he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive, they are not forgiven. We're briefly taking in a glimpse into maybe a little bit of Jesus' humor. The disciples are locked away in a room, scared out of their minds, and then Jesus just appears out of nowhere and scares the bejesus out of them. <laughs> Jesus knows that the, thre- the disciples are on this threshold of difficult emotions. They're teetering one way or the other, and so he doesn't begin with just saying, hey guys, what's up? He says twice to them, peace be with you. It's the Greek word arene, which 
has several connotations. It's a, a sense of tranquility and harmony between individuals, of security and prosperity and blessedness and a state of devotion. But peace is more than just emotion. It's, it's a way of life. Peace is, is not the absence of heartache and conflict and anxiety, but instead peace in the Hebrew language is shalom. It, it means completeness or wholeness. In the Old Testament, we see shalom showing up again and again. It's often used to describe uh, the final brick being put in a wall to make it complete. Shalom refers to a person's well-being. Peace is, again, not the absence of all these complex emotions, but the embracing of them in difficult times. And Jesus wants to restore to them the fracturing of their hearts and their minds. He wants to bring them peace in a sense of their terror and their anxiety and their grief. And God desires to do the same for us as we face moments, both personally and collectively, in times of uncertainty and the unknown. It's a state of mind in which we recognize that life is not free of unexpected change and heartache and frustration and difficult questions about what comes next. As one author put it, in peace rooted in trust that Jesus Christ gives us a deeper and wider and stronger and more enduring sense of whatever our current circumstances are. Because all we see is not all there is. And the last word of us and struggle is not yet spoken. And after Jesus spoke peace on them a second time, John reports that he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. What did that feel like? What did that look like? I'm reminded of the creation narrative in Genesis 1 in which it said God spoke and creation became. It's the Hebrew word amar. However, in Genesis 2, it gives us a more intimate perspective. It says that God nefesh, God breathed life into existence. Speaking is somewhat of a distant act. However, breathing life into the nostrils of something is something much more intimate. Jesus breathes the same spirit on them that hovered above the primordial waters of creation, that filled the lungs of humanity, that called forth Moses from a burning bush, that called down fire from heaven for Elijah, that propelled Mary with strength to carry a child into the world. The same peace that Jesus spoke of, the same Holy Spirit, they proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom to the captive, recover sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Jesus breathed life into them. And that's a powerful truth we don't need to miss from this text, that God is continually breathing life into us especially when we're facing moments of the unknown. Just the simple act of taking a deep breath in reminds us that God is present with us. Take a moment, breathe in. Slowing down our heart rate and taking deep breaths reminds us of God's presence within us as we face anxious times. God desires to have God's living spirit breathing life into us, empowering us to live out the way of Jesus. The text says this in verse 24, now Thomas, son of Didymus, was one of the 12, was not with the disciples. When Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put fingers where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. Where's Thomas been this entire time? Is he out getting takeout food for everybody else? Can you imagine this moment of them seeing the Lord and him missing out in the moment? They say that one of the number one fears in our society is FOMO, the fear of missing out. And he missed out on a huge moment. But it says this in verse 26, A week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was there. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here in my side. Reach out your hands and put them into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen, you may believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have not believed. Before we get to the the beauty of this moment, can we stop and point out that Jesus did it again? He scared the bejesus out of them again. They're locked away again, and he shows up among them and scares the ever-living wits out of each of them. But the second thing we can point out for the text is that we, we find something fascinating here. Why are the disciples still locked away in fear in the room? One week later, did God not breathe the spirit within them? Did Jesus not give them the spiritual embodiment of peace? You see, historically, we have railed Thomas for his lack of belief that Jesus has resurrected unless he can touch him and feel him. And yet the disciples who actually did see him are still locked away in fear. How often in our lives... Do we have to have these constant moments again and again of proof of God in order to believe that God is present in our lives? In reality, it's not just Thomas that needs to see and feel and trust. The opportunity is here in this moment for, for transformation. As one author put it, this is, I think, the way that we assume faith should work. Yes, perhaps you've got doubts and questions and fears, but then God arrives and all those fall away, replaced with joy and wonder and, of course, unshakable faith. I'm with Thomas. He is not far off from the way that my temperament works. He struggles with the report that he's received from the disciples. He has all sorts of questions that are revolving inside of him. What happened? Why didn't I see Jesus? What's going to happen next? You see, faith is not a doctrinal statement. Faith is experiencing the unbelievable and believing it anyways. But faith isn't perfect. We recall from the Gospel of Mark in which Jesus is called to help a sick boy and the father cries out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. You ever been around children before? We've often been presented this idea that to believe in God is to have a childlike, innocent faith of just simply believing. But again, have you ever been around children before? They ask a lot of questions. My favorite question my children always ask is, why? Why, especially when you tell them no to something. May we come to see that maybe faith isn't always having the certainty that we claim we think we should have. But sometimes it's approaching God with more questions than answers. As a great J.R. R. Tolkien put it, faithless is the one that says farewell when the road darkens. Now, this morning, we, uh, we gave you one of these, right? So go ahead and pull this out for me. Now, just imagine 
If you're at home, you're holding a new balloon in your hand. We apologize we didn't ship these in advance. I want you to take a deep breath in and blow up the balloon and then pinch the valve so you don't let any of the air out. Ready? Let's do it together. Up here inside that balloon, what, what do you see? Most of us, likely, uh, because we're fuzzy from trying to blow up a balloon, we're feeling a little hazy, so maybe we don't see anything. But, but you can't see the air inside it, can you? And yet something is there. Something is filling this thing full of life. Now, do me a favor. Go ahead, go ahead and let it out. Some noises you probably didn't expect to hear in the sanctuary this morning. Now we see this thing is, is empty. But you filled it yourself, did you not? Now let's one more time. Fill it up one more time. This time I want you to close it off. Go ahead and close the balloon. Alright, once you get it blown up, close it for me. A once empty piece of latex is now the source of something else. Do me a favor. Just hit it around. You have permission. Ordained minister says it's okay to hit a balloon in the church. This once empty void is now a source of excitement. And a source of funds. I think it's funny, some of y'all are still trying to tie your balloons, mainly adults in here. Some of y'all have that look on your face like, I'm listening, but I'm really trying to get this thing tied right now. <laughs> See, these balloons represent something of a liminal space that we find ourselves in. For one, we're reminded that God fills us and fills our soul. But two, we're reminded that there is a void in the unknown. And yet God can fill us with unexpected potential. The disciples in our text were facing this pivotal moment of faith. What was once was no longer going to be. They cannot return back to before the, resur before the death and the crucifixion. The disciples will soon find that they're entering into an unknown space 40 days from now when Jesus ascends into heaven. However, the disciples receive the peace that comes through the Holy Spirit. They're facing this unbelievable and uncertain future, now filled with joy and peace and hope of what is to come. That is genuine faithfulness. And this is what it's like to step out into the unknown. A moment in which we can be filled with a void of emptiness, or we can choose to step out in faith and being filled with God's Spirit dwelling within us. You have an invitation to step out into a liminal journey where the certainty is unknown, where the outcomes you cannot control and predict. But that is what faith is supposed to be like. The great J.R.R. Tolkien in his classic book, The Hobbit, tells us of this conversation between Gandalf the wizard and Bilbo Baggins of the Shire. 
When he's faced with this question of if he should go on this adventure of danger and dragons and treasure and mainly possibly death, he asks, will he return? And Gandalf says, no, I can't promise you'll return. But if you do, you will never be the same. We're invited on a journey of liminality with God, and if we go, we'll never be the same. But what will happen if we stay? Will we follow God into the unknown? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for fear and anxiety, all emotions you have given to us. But we also thank you that you can fill us at the same time with peace. May we be reminded that in a time of uncertainty that we have each other as the church. A place where we can mourn, a place where we can celebrate, a place where we can laugh, but a place that we can fill each other with hope that we can journey together forward. All these things we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 